Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Golasso. We have a great episode today. We talk to Jim Curtin, MLS Coach of the Year, as he looks ahead to the playoffs with Philadelphia Union, the winners of the Supporter Shield. And we welcome my friend, my former co-host, Grant Wall, to discuss American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story, the new seven-part series from Blue Wire Podcast. It's a loaded episode, and it begins right now. Joining us now is Jim Curtin, MLS Coach of the Year. After his Philadelphia Union won the Supporters' Shield, the club's first ever trophy and earning the best record in the league. Uh, extremely deserved for a manager who has developed talent thanks to a strong academy program. And now the Union is a strong contender for MLS Cup. Of course, it's not done and dusted yet, but a strong contender. Jim is a former MLS All-Star center back and is the fifth member of the Supporters' Shield winner as player and coach. He began his coaching career with the Union's Academy a decade ago uh, before joining the senior team as assistant coach in 2012 and taking over the head job two years after that. Honestly, Jim and the Union are a classic example of patience and determination and a stubborn philosophy of, excuse me for saying this, trusting the process. Uh, so much to talk about. Jim, welcome to Kego Lasso and honestly, congratulations. Thank you so much for having me, Luis. And again, you you uh, you made me sound way more important than I actually am to this whole thing. Uh, I, I have to give so much credit to my staff and, and my, the coaches and, and the players uh, for all the hard work that they put in this year to make it a successful season for the union. Well, honestly, that's a classic gym answer because you're so humble, uh, but you really deserve, obviously, your team, the staff, the members, and we'll get into that, deserve a lot of credit, but this is uh, well-deserved for you, Jim. So, so well done. Congratulations. Um, let me begin with this, Jim. When did you find out about the award? So it was actually funny because I was supposed to present uh, some awards to our players, um, some individual accolades that they received. Andre Blake, for example, was getting goalkeeper of the year. A couple others were named to the best 11 team, which hasn't been released yet. Um, uh, so again, I was kind of almost set up by my own staff, by my own uh, <laughs> support staff over here, um, where they had me introduce those guys. I was mic'd up and they had video cameras in there. And then after I was done uh, speaking, uh, Alejandro Bedoya stood up um, and I knew something was something was going on and he started to speak and he introduced me as the head coach of the year. So uh, it was, uh, again, like you said, uh, it was a humbling moment, um, gosh, to be named uh, just by the name of the award, the Ziggy Schmidt Coach of the Year Award. Um, something that means a, a lot to me. Ziggy's a guy that I learned so much from uh, as a coach and as a player. Um, and then to be even mentioned in the name, names of Oscar Pereja and Greg Vanny this season and some of the work Peter Ramiz and does and, and Caleb Porter and all the great coaches, Gio Savarese this year. You, it could have gone to so many different guys um, who, who had such great seasons and, and dealt with so much different adversity. 
Um, but they kind of sprung it on me. I'm not good with dealing with uh, surprises. Uh, so they put me on the spot a little bit. Um, I, I, I kept it together, didn't get too emotional, uh, but I was really honored and it, it just shows the, the growth of this club and, and the work that so many people put in. Um, and like you mentioned, we're still not done yet. We still have uh, uh, a lot of work to do here in the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about, obviously, the playoffs and obviously just what it's taken to get here. Obviously not done, but a lot to celebrate. But let's talk about your season. Uh, because honestly, not just easy on anyone. It's, it just hasn't been. 2020, obviously, we know it has come with so many challenges. How has it been, Jim, for you during these times? How, how has it been? How has 2020 been? It's been uh, incredibly unique uh, in, in all aspects, uh, from the soccer side, from my kids' school. There's just so many things you have to adapt to and adjust to. But I think as a coach, it, it's been a really great way to learn because I think we've, we've, we've all, all of have, have found different ways to make things work. I think this is an example, right? We, you know, a, a year ago, we wouldn't have thought of such a cool platform where we can just jump on a call, have a great conversation and, and see each other and see the emotions of it. Um, so that, that was something that I, I think we all learned to adjust and adapt. Um, gosh, I think back to, we played LAFC in what I thought was one of the best games of the year this season. And I was excited and I, I thought, man, we can, okay, if we can play with them in their building with the talent that they have, you know, I can't wait to get this season going and, and underway. And then everything shut down. And then we had to go to Orlando and adjust and adapt to a new environment there. Uh, and then, then kick off uh, almost what felt like the, the third restart to the season. Um, and, and all along, you're trying to find new ways to connect with your players, keep them together, still find ways for them to grow and improve through film and, and different uh, ways to, to, to reach out to them. We had individual training, then small group training, and then, you know, we're allowed to finally get back at it and do the thing that we love. So uh, a lot of highs and lows, a lot of adversity, but I think it's, it's made us all stronger uh, as a country. And I think we've all, um, you know, not to be cheesy, but found it that, you know, in the hardest moments, the, the biggest thing and the most important thing is, is your family. Um, and look, the Philadelphia Union is my second family. Of course, my, my real family comes first, but I, I do believe that um, even, you know, pro sports aside, I think everybody now has, has such a stronger appreciation of family and, and being away from loved ones during uh, this unique pandemic that we've gone through. So um, you always try to look for the positives and, and that's one that I think we've all really uh, grown to improve and, and, and just that connection and always reaching out and doing maybe more uh, and valuing time more with your, your, your loved ones. So, um, you know, uh, it needs to be said and it's something that I think really brought our group and our team together uh, as well. We almost approached it like a family and, and our, our group grew really tight during the time in Orlando. Um, and then just this locker room, I can't say enough about just how, how well Ali Bedoya, you know, gets my messages across to these guys and keeps the old ones and the young ones all, all going in the same direction, which is not an easy task. Not an easy task. Uh, and also, you know, we will talk about this family in a second because it's been a family that's been cultivating, right? But let, let's talk about for a second, you entering the playoffs, uh, you know, the top seed and uh, an added addition, an added bonus is home advantage for the duration of the playoffs. How do you feel? heading into the postseason? We feel good. Look, we have a, 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 we're a very good home team this year. We didn't lose a game at home, so we have that, that comfort level. But we also, you know, maybe never had the uh, – we were never really the team everybody was kind of gunning for. You know, we, we maybe snuck up on some teams during the course of the season where now we'll have that, that X on our back where uh, when teams come to play us, they're, they're going to come uh, to take us out. So 
there's a new dynamic to that. Uh, there's new pressures that come with being the number one seed uh, to being at home where you're supposed to win. Um, so it adds a little bit of that. So it's, it's our job now as a club and, and my job as the coach to keep everybody just as hungry, keep everybody just as humble. Uh, and, and obviously we respect all of our opponents that come in to play in Subaru Park. Um, but it's a place where we have a lot of confidence. Uh, and we've played some, some pretty entertaining soccer. You know, look, we, we can do it defensively where we were the, you know, gave up the least amount of goals this year. We can also do it in attack uh, where we scored, you know, the third most in the league. So it's a really fun group to watch. Um, and the biggest compliment as a coach is when I get text messages from fans, from GMs or, or other coaches in the league. And they say, I really love putting your team on and watching you guys play. If I have to choose from uh, all the other teams, I, I really enjoy watching you play. For me, that's the ultimate. You know, you, you have a, a team that goes on the field and, and plays the right way, win, lose, or draw. Uh, we're exciting. Uh, so again, um, we're going to have a tough first game. The, the team that we're going to play against in the first round will have played, uh, you know, and be coming off a win before they play us. So they'll have that 90 minutes in their legs. You think of the opponents, it could be Miami and the talent that they have is very, very scary uh, with the individual players that they have. You have a New England team that we've had very tight games with all season and played so many times. We know each other so well. Uh, and then Montreal, uh, Thierry's done a great job uh, with that group. Uh, they're certainly difficult to play against and he's building something special there as well. Jim, let's talk about the special uh, story that really the union has been about, because I want to talk to you about the club's journey for a second, where honestly, the, it begins with the academy, right? And Richie Graham, uh, uh, you know, is principally involved with its foundation and the YSC Academy, a, a first of its kind soccer specific school for elite players. Uh, and now we see the fruits of that labor. Right, Mark McKenzie, Brendan Aronson, Paxton Aronson, it all goes down to the under 12s, to be honest. How important has Richie and the team been when it comes to discussing the success of this club thus far? Look, I owe everything to, to Richie Graham. You know, when I retired and played my last game in Chivas, I came across the country back to Philly, which was home, uh, and started asking questions in the area. Uh, and and um, all roads kind of led to Richie, uh, who who is a true pioneer uh, in, in, in U.S. soccer. And I've said this before, we need, the quickest way to us winning a World Club Cup and growing is that if we, if we could clone five or six Richies and put them all over the United States because um, what, he, what he ultimately wants is he wants our country to win a World Cup. Obviously he's very philanthropic and he's also, um, you know, he, he, he wants kids to grow and learn and have a great experience um, and, and be in a great environment. But, uh, you know, his, vision was one when I first came to the club um, and I wasn't even involved in the first team yet um, but he had the, the foresight to see look the majority of all the other MLS teams at that time were buying really expensive you know aging superstars and that was a model and that's not the not to say that that was wrong but it was more to sell tickets to sell jerseys um, whereas Richie's vision was unique in that um, he believed that if we could become a club that um, cultivated our own homegrown players, it could become uh, just as powerful as, as, as a DP player signing or three DP players. Um, he knew that would take time. So they did things like put the school in there. Uh, they have so many kids that are, are coming through and learning so much in, in, in such a, a fast way. Um, but over the years now, they learned uh, our, how we want to play, uh, our style of play, our philosophy. Uh, and, and as that you know, has kind of built, 
Um, we've kind of grown with these kids. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to coach in the academy with, with Brendan when it was called Union Juniors. Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie were eight or nine years old and Anthony Fontana and Matt Real uh, and Matt Freeze and, and so many other names that are coming up um, where we saw these kids at eight, nine years old. So there was a real connection and a bond. They might be getting sick of hearing my voice, but, <laughs> but we've been together for so long. So again, during that process, um, we really grew as a club. We had some highs, you know, open cup final runs, but then we also had some lows and, and not making the playoffs. Um, but to our ownership's credit and Jay Sugarman and Richard Leibovich and Richie Graham, um, they stuck with it. And in pro sports, that can be rare. You know, oftentimes when you lose three or four games in a row, that can be the end uh, for, for coaches. But I give uh, them a ton of credit for really believing in this and, and seeing it out. And now, like you said, uh, we're starting to see the, the fruits of all that hard work. Um, and, and that's something that makes us all really proud. I won't bore you with the long, long philosophy of the club, but the very quick, you know, elevator, if I jumped on an elevator with you and I gave you the 30 second snapshot, I'd say we have three pillars that we always look back on, whether we're win, losing or drawing. Um, and, and that is number one, we want to build from within. So we want our academy kids to come through the club. We also want our technical staff and coaches to come through our scouting department. We want to see them have a, a, an avenue where they can grow and, and improve and reach the highest level uh, and coach at the highest level as well. Um, second, we believe any group uh, of 11 players that are cohesively working together can beat any group of individual talent, um, which is something that, you know, goes to, if, if you're in this system from age eight all the way up to professional, you can imagine over time that, that we're speaking the same language and we're all, you know, kind of pulling in the same direction. And then lastly is, is innovation. We have to find unique ways to, to scout talent, to, to go into different countries that maybe aren't as, as tapped in the, in the world of soccer uh, as here. Uh, the uniqueness of our school and the job that they do there, the education that these kids are getting, even the ones that don't turn pro are going on to do big things in the world uh, at universities um, and, and beyond. So uh, there's a lot of little different things, but those three pillars are kind of what we always fall back on and ask ourselves, are we doing these good? Um, and right now, I would say um, we don't have all the answers. We're not perfect yet, but we're, we're certainly moving things in the right direction. Man, Jim, if there was a soccer shark tank, like you could go on it right now. <laughs> Let's, uh, I want to focus on the third pillar, innovation, yeah. because that also translates itself into, you know, making it a profitable business, right? With the likes of Brendan Aronson heading to Salzburg, managed by your friend, Jesse Marsh, of course. Yeah. How important is it that the club and the league, to be honest, remain a place where Europe can also see it as a market? It's everything. Uh, look, you know, I know everybody wants to snap our fingers and have MLS be the number one league in the world, but the reality is things don't work like that. Um, you have to have a time and a period where maybe we are a selling league. I don't know how long that has to be, but I, I think that that's important. So now when you sell a Brendan Aronson to Salzburg, you know, the money that we get back in, we can invest back in the academy. We can invest back into innovative initiatives that we have here at the club. Uh, to, to move it forward. So uh, a lot more eyes are on our games. I have to say more, it's grown, MLS has grown more than I ever thought it would in my life. It's become a league where I have friends in Europe that it's on TV over there and they're watching very closely of all the games. So, uh, and we have good young talent. It needs to be said too. The American players, we have good young players here uh, from America, from South America that are coming in in, in their prime uh, and recognizing that it can be a big stepping stone uh, and moving on. Ultimately, do I believe it will be a top league in the world? I do. I, I really think that that's coming sooner rather than later. 
Um, but for what we are right now, I think this is the, the perfect next step um, you know, in, in this league's growth. So um, that innovation piece and, and being able to accept what we are and, and kind of adjust and be, be progressive too and, and think of new ideas and find new ways to, to grow talent and improve talent in this country, I think is, is really important. So now when we turn on our, our national team yesterday and you look out there and you go, Gosh, Juventus, we got, a, we got a kid at Barcelona, two kids at Barcelona out on the field. Um, again, these are big steps. Chelsea, you know, uh, again, it's a, it's a big uh, move forward for, for our league. Uh, it's a big move forward for uh, all the young academies in, in our country. Um, and you're starting to see some real improvement. Uh, and I know everyone hates the word patience, but uh, patience can be a good thing uh, if your end goal is to ultimately look at maybe 2026 and say, Let's, let's really go after the World Cup then. I know people are going to say I'm crazy again, but I don't care. That's kind of has to be our dream and our, our belief. No, I don't think it's crazy at all. 2026 is definitely a target. Jim, let me ask you finally, because uh, you mentioned about, obviously, the relationship between not just, uh, you know, MLS players, but also Americans who are based in Europe, right? So when you're looking at the national team and, you know, there's maybe talk of having a December camp where Greg Berhalter will have like, you know, domestic based players, Liga MX based Americans, et cetera. How important is that, um, that mix, that chemistry, making sure that, you know, uh, it's not just about the nucleus of one, but also like so many in order to really generate the success of the U.S.? That's the greatest challenge, um, and I don't envy Greg in that because now in, in such a unique time, it's hard to get all of them together at the same time. And we all know in, in, in sports how important it is to, to know each other well. Um, your biggest question is how often will they all get to play together and, and really how many games will we get to really decide what the best group is? And it, it's not necessarily the most talented group. It, it's the, the group that complements each other the best, you know? So... Uh, again, that's going to be the hardest thing, I think, for our national team. I think Greg has uh, a difficult job, but he's, uh, you know, he's one of the smartest uh, people and, and tacticians I've ever been around. So he's a guy that will get it, he'll get it right and get it figured out. I do wish they had more camps and more time. Um, and I do think there needs to be a bit of a shift in the mindset of, um, you know, the, the soccer, I'll just say the soccer mentality in, in the United States is it's, if you're in, in Europe, it's a it's hundred times better. If you're playing in MLS, it's garbage. Can it be somewhere in, in between? There's actually really, there's, there's, there's a lot of actual teams in, in Europe that, that aren't necessarily doing it perfect either. You know what I mean? So let's just all get on the same page and try to find the best players that complement each other. And, and let's really um, be a little more positive in the way that we talk about them. And it's not if, if, if a 16 or 17 year old kid uh, gets his first cap and maybe has a, a bad pass or two and makes a mistake, he shouldn't be dead to the, you know, I know it's, it's getting a little more cutthroat now as it should, and we all want to push it forward, but um, I, I would preach a little bit of more of, let's really get them all on the same page and let's get the best kids and let's get them out there regardless of what league they play in, um, you know, and be a little more open-minded to, um, to good MLS players, uh, to good European players, to good players in League MX. Uh, there's, there's so much talent uh, that we have to choose from. Uh, and, and I think uh, only time will tell us um, what that best group is to put on the field. Yeah, reshifting the narrative is very important. And I think another part as well is like, you know, we need more 
uh, American coaches in Europe as well to like continue to tell that story, right? That's, that's another important part, do you think? Absolutely. I think it's important, you know, as, as the game grows and we put so many good young players in Europe, I think it will open uh, more windows and more pathways. Um, you know, for example, I've got a guy like Jesse Marsh, who's a close friend, what he's doing mm -hmm. over there. Uh, he's a pioneer. He's, he's blazing a new kind of trail uh, and he's, he's gaining respect for, for the American coach as well. So um, again, we're all in this together. I think, I think ultimately I know Twitter and I know that the social media areas, we can be all harsh on each other and kind of poke holes in, in everybody's different ideas and philosophy. Um, but the more we can kind of see it from others' perspective and say, um, this is the game we all love. And it's the game that, that speaks kind of one language as it is. So let's get on the same page with it. Um, let's, let's support each other. Uh, there's still going to be accountability. Certainly. I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that naturally happens no matter what. Um, but there's good, good American coaches in MLS. There's incredible foreign coaches in MLS now. Um, and, and again, I think ultimately, uh, if everybody is on the same page, get that 10% on Twitter that are just crazy and going to be negative and not happy no matter what, and just ignore their voices and, and uh, be a little more positive and, and recognize that there's a lot of good things going on in the United States with soccer. You're a glass half full person, Jim, just like me. I absolutely love it. Jim Curtin, Philadelphia Union, MLS Coach of the Year. He looks ahead to the playoffs as the top seed. Jim, congratulations. Thank you so much for joining us and the best in the postseason, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome and uh, keep up the great work. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Que Golazo. It is an absolute pleasure. And I don't say that often. And well, maybe I do, but I lie. But today I'm telling the truth. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome my friend, my former co-host at Sports Illustrated, Grant Wall, one of the most important uh, and recognizable face in American soccer. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm his friend. That is just a fact. Uh, more than 23 years at Sports Illustrated. He has a podcast, Football, uh, with Grant Wall. He's a writer, contributor, and... As we speak, his brand new series with Blue Wire Pods, American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story, um, begins as we speak, November 17th. It's a seven-part series all about the story of Freddie Adu and so much more. Grant is here to talk about it. Grant, GW, how are you, buddy? I'm good. It's good to see you, my friend. I know. It's great to see you. Uh, it's a bit weird because we used to co-host a show together and now it's like, you know, the other way around. And then I go on your show, you go on mine. But hey, the world keeps spinning. Uh, Grant, listen, obviously there's so much that me and you can talk about for days and days. But today is about American Prodigy. Uh, what an incredible project. Uh, already heard the first episode. Why don't you tell us, first of all, what the show, the series is all about? Yeah, I mean, this is a story I've been wanting to tell for a really long time, uh, for several years now, and just hadn't had the time to put it together. And I viewed this as something like uh, an ESPN 30 for 30. I always wondered why they didn't do one on the Freddie Adu story, because this was about as big as it's ever gotten in American soccer, in that you had a player who signed and became a professional at the age of 14 in 2004 with MLS was the highest paid player on his team, one of the highest paid players in the league. He was uh, doing TV ads with Pele. Uh, yeah, he was the focus of MLS's national ad campaign. 
And Freddie Adu was so big at that moment that MLS did everything they could to try and promote the heck out of him. And they got a lot of people to pay attention. And it was kind of crazy. I mean, I remember Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike, told me that he thought Freddie could be bigger for his sport than LeBron James were was for his, than Tiger Woods, than Michael Jordan were for theirs. Those are like the titans of Nike. And, and then Phil Knight was like, oh, I hope I don't put any pressure on him. Well, you just kind of did, my man. Like, it, it was just absolutely incredible in those days. And I had covered LeBron James in our first Sports Illustrated cover story just a year earlier before those Freddie Adu stories started. And so I've always been fascinated about why some phenoms make it, like LeBron, who's actually exceeded expectations, and some phenoms don't make it, like Freddie. And, and so I was able to tell this story about Freddie Adu interviewing Freddie himself, but also two dozen other people who've been part of his story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing about this part, this series at least, at least from the very beginning of what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, Grant, is that this is also about, and you also you know, brought it up as you were explaining, but it's also about our cultural obsession with what it means to be a young star, right? It's funny because obviously, like you mentioned, you were just reporting on LeBron James, high school LeBron James, and then a year later comes Freddie Adu. And it's a combination of what we expect of these incredible athletes, uh, what the reality is, and then what eventually happens. And I feel that, do you think that that's a major part of, of your series as well? Trying to figure out who are we as well when it comes to the Freddie Adu story? Oh yeah, it's a huge part of this story is, you know, why are we so obsessed with the idea of young athletic genius, the potential for it? Because maybe this goes back to like Mozart, you know, just like, you know, genius at a, at a very young age is something that, you know, even outside of sports, we're fascinated by. And I do think this stretch of time in the early 2000s, we really seem to get into this because that's not long after Tiger Woods, it's LeBron, it's Freddie Adu, it's Michelle Wee in golf. You know, there's a few tennis stars that probably would fit that description. Um, you know, I remember when Bryce Harper uh, in baseball got on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So we've always had this fascination. And then we don't always take into account the impact of what the media itself has on that person. Because I remember telling LeBron James, like, once he was on the cover, and I was, you know, fist pumping because any writer's excited when they get a cover story, but I was also kind of concerned about how it would impact his life. And I was like, people are going to look at you in a different way now. And, and maybe the cover of Sports Illustrated meant a, a little, something a little different back then, but still like that took LeBron's recognition in around the country to a completely new level. And I get into that with Freddie here. And, and there's a, a moment when I speak to him because at first he wouldn't talk. He didn't want to do any interviews. I did, you know, two dozen interviews of an hour each or more with a bunch of other people close to Freddie. He finally reconsidered, changed his mind. And toward the end of my interview over about 90 minutes with Freddie, I, I, I said, do I owe you an apology? 
because I'd written a lot about Freddie back in the early 2000s. And, and I tried to put in the usual caveats of, you know, he might not make it. Um, and for me, at least, that was a pretty poignant moment to, to ask him that question and hear what his answer was. And, and that's one part of one of the later episodes. So you mentioned that Freddie is in the series. You do talk to him. We sh we under we will hear his point of view as uh, listeners and and viewers on YouTube on our show are uh, you know are getting this episode. The first part is out now, November seventeenth. So what can you explain to us about the first part? Uh, where do we begin? The first episode is called "The Legend of Freddie Adu," and it really puts listeners in the position I was in as a journalist looking for stories back in 2003 and starting to hear about this 13 year old sensation, leg, urban legend almost, uh, who had been born in Ghana and, and his family won an immigration lottery and was, you know, was able to come to the United States and move to the DC area, not connected in any way to Freddie's soccer, just his family won the immigration lottery, which is an incredible story, kind of like the American dream. And then Freddie being discovered because he had spent all of his formative years in Ghana playing on the street, becoming very, very good and being discovered at recess at his school. And within a week being sort of sucked into the, the travel uh, soccer club system in the DC area and, and winning champ tournament championships and scoring these amazing goals. And this happened just suddenly. And so getting into telling that story and then his pathway, Freddie, to, you know, being part of the Olympic development program, going to Italy and having Inter Milan offer his family uh, nearly a seven-figure offer when he was like 10 and, and just crazy stuff. And then going to the U.S. Uh, under-17 residency program in Florida. And, and so we get into all of this stuff in the first episode. And I tell the story of going to Finland for the under-17 world championship in 2003, where Freddie essentially made his debut and scoring a hat trick in the first game and, and one of the most absurd goals I've ever seen. And so as all of that is happening, this process of, of figuring out if he's going to turn pro, if he's um, going to get signed by MLS or a team in Europe, and which would have been potentially the better way to go for his development, but just getting into all of that excitement. And so that is the legend that gets told in the first episode. And you, you're reminded talking to people who are on his under 17 national team, like Jamie Watson, who's now in Nashville, like how good Freddie was. And, and Jamie's like, Freddie Adu was the best 14 year old soccer player ever that anyone had ever seen. And, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah, there's something interesting as you're talking, uh, two points actually. The first one is like, as we discuss Freddie Adu and the series comes out and we talk about his journey, I feel like a big part of this narrative is also, and I can, really relate to this is also like America is so in love with nostalgia and it's so in love with the, the American dream, whatever that may mean now. And part of that American dream is the journey, especially the immigrant journey. And I feel that specifically because he won the green card lottery, you know, came from Africa, 
you know, sort of uh, culturally had to assimilate himself in the capital of the United States. And suddenly at 14, you know, a non-white kid, a black kid, just suddenly rising. And there's so many parts of that narrative that people just want to fall in love with. They want to root for him, especially because of that age. And I feel like that's a major part of it. And the second part I feel, Grant, is when you're talking about Freddie and we're going to dive deep into this great series, it's also, I can't help but like think about what we've seen in the last few days with Yunus Musa, you know, uh, a kid born in New York City to also Ghanaian parents moving to Italy, then England, uh, Spain. He's also very young, you know, and it's, I feel like we, we still have that sort of nostalgic journey and those feelings and those emotions about players like this. It's, it's so weirdly connected, don't you think? Yeah, we're still fascinated with young talent, you know, and, and that's just a, a, a sliver of Eunice Moose's story. And we're going to probably hear more about Eunice Moose's story as time goes on, especially if he ends up choosing uh, to play for the U.S. for good. Um, and that's one of the things I think we love about sports. Now, one thing I've noticed with Eunice Musa is he, I, I haven't interviewed him yet, but like he has an amazing smile. He, he seems charismatic, even though I haven't ever heard him interviewed. Even, he just seems like it. Like if you saw the smile on his face when he was taking the, the starting 11 picture in his first game against Wales, he was like grinning ear to ear more than anybody else. You could tell how happy he was. And my first reaction to Freddie when I saw him at age 13 was not just this kid's an amazing soccer player doing things I've never seen someone his age do, but he had a charisma that was off the charts. Like, I remember doing my first interview with Freddie in 03 and calling my editor afterward and just saying, you're not going to believe this kid is real because as an interview, he's amazing. And that's why Nike had already signed him to a seven-figure deal at age 13. You know, it was this combination of potential genius, the seeds of genius, but also this amazing smile and the charisma. And um, it's, it, it rang true to me one year after I had seen similar things in LeBron. I was just going to say that. Literally, I was just going to say that. And that's why LeBron is an anomaly, because it's not just about the ultra, almost non-human-like athleticism, but it's his personality, it's his leadership, it's his charisma. And to your point, you meet a young teen Freddie Adu, and he's giving you the same energy and stuff. And so you just do nothing but root for him. Uh, let me ask you something, Grant. Is there anything during this journey because obviously you've covered him extensively. You understand the makeup of not just him, but the culture of American soccer. Is there anything that surprised you as you were talking to people, anything in the show that you thought, wow, that really, I didn't know. Perhaps maybe, maybe even something that he told you that is really, really surprising. Obviously you don't want to give too much away because we want to listen to the series, but if, is there anything in the show that, that really just, you know, kind of uh, lit a light bulb for you? I mean, for me, it was really interesting that I think people, you know, people in the U.S. are still very aware of Freddie Adu. Like, I would bet you that he is, would be more recognizable to any Americans, not just soccer fans, 
than maybe maybe all but like five soccer players or, or 10 soccer players at this point, like still. And that's kind of crazy when you think about it. But I would think most people would assume that Freddie Adu is a sad story and that because he didn't become what people thought he was going to become, that he might be bitter about that. And if you talk to Freddie at length, if you talk to the people around him at length, and I think this comes through in the, in the podcast series, none of them think he's a sad story. Mm. And in fact, what he's doing right now, because just last month he signed uh, with like a third division team in Sweden, and he's going to play professionally again for the first time in two years. And a lot of people thought he was done playing. And at this point, it's not about getting back to the national team. It's about, it's about playing to play a game he loves yeah. again. And being there's, yeah. and, and there's something kind of inspirational actually about that, that isn't sad. And, and I think that for me was sort of a pleasant surprise. I, I hadn't interviewed Freddie in many years until, you know, when we finally did get together and talk at length uh, for this podcast series. And he still had the same smile, you know? He was still a really good interview, full of energy. And, and in a way, I don't know if people are expecting this to be an inspirational story, but it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, it really reminds me a lot now as you talk of as well Felipe Lopez, the Dominican retired uh, player, you know, in New York, born in uh, New York, raised, sorry, uh, you know, so much, uh, you know, expectations for him, so many similarities to it. Unbelievable. Uh, the first part of American Prodigy is out right now, and you will be able to hear the next episodes every Tuesday from Blue Wire Pods. Before we say goodbye to you, Grant Wall, how are you, buddy? How about your uh, football with Grant Wall? Some amazing guests, uh, uh, you know, uh, especially a, a, a Peruvian a while ago. He was really good, I thought. Uh, what, what else is going on with you, buddy? How, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thanks. I, I, I miss doing all the shows that we did. You and I did about a hundred video shows and just as many podcasts over a, a couple of years in Sports Illustrated. So uh, I feel like it, it, life without my partner regularly is is still a little weird, but it's great to be back with you now. I'm enjoying your show, um, loving the interviews you're doing. Thierry Henry was amazing, um, you, and you know, just really excited for you. Uh, excited also just to be, you know. I'm pretty busy doing doing soccer stuff, doing my twice a week podcast. Had a good interview with Jesse Marsh uh, that just came out for that this week. Um, and then, you know, this this adduce thing really sort of took over my life over the last four months or so, and it became my chance after becoming a, a free agent uh, unexpectedly in April to uh, to really show what I can do. And that, you know, th there's some really valuable stuff that, uh, that I can be connected to and produce. And, and hopefully, you know, when something comes out like this, you want it to be something people like, I think they will. I I'm pretty proud of how it, how it turned out, but 
it's been fun for me to really put everything I, I've had, you know, over a fairly long period of time into a project like this. So um, in that way, it's reminded me a little bit of my book projects over the years, but um, to, to want to do a story for so long, for so many years and finally get the chance to do it, um, you know, it feels good to, to have it out there now. Well, it feels good to have it out and listen to it. Uh, American Prodigy, uh, the Freddie Adu story, Blue Wire Pods. It's good to also see you so busy. I know that you have some other projects as well with Sports Illustrated coming up. Uh, and like you said, it's always good talking to you. We did so many shows together. We continue to be good friends. And, uh, you know, having you on the show is, is not just uh, great. It's an absolute pleasure, my friend. And I can't wait to dive uh, into the entire series. American Prodigy, the Freddie Adu story, every Tuesday. Make sure you tune in. Grant Wall, thank you so much for being with us here at Kego Lasso. Thanks so much, Luis Miguel. Keep killing it, my friend. I want to thank Jim Curtin and Grant Wall for joining me today. We have plenty more content coming your way. Make sure that you follow us on Kego Lasso Pod on Twitter and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Have a great day and we'll see you soon.